Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. This episode is one part of my hour-long NPR show heard every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it has broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, everything your dog wants you to know, as well as the Cat Bible, everything your cat expects you to know, because I care about people who care about cats, dogs, and other creatures who share our planet. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival and the New York Cat Film Festival, which travel America and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. I could not bring you this show without the support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who's created a variety of litters to please any cat, as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also made possible with the generous sponsorship of Waruva, the Foreman family-owned pet food company named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes in cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. What a beautiful new book, The Art of Raising a Kitten. It's an idea that I never thought of before. And my dear friend Sally Bonner, who used to come on Cat Chat all the time and help me answer people's questions because she is the answer lady where cats are concerned, has written this wonderful book. Sally, congratulations. It's, it's a really great contribution to cat ownership. Thank you very much, Tracy. I appreciate it. No one has talked about kitten raising, actually, much less the artfulness of it. I think that's an, an interesting point is that people think, well, kittens are cute. And they kind of raise themselves. I mean, no one's really gone into the nitty gritty like you do about the, the weeks that matter that they stay with their mom or with their siblings or even an adopted sibling. When you, when you set out to write the book, did you realize that people were taking in kittens, stray kittens from a shelter or from the street or maybe even fosters who were keeping one from a litter and not really doing anything in particular, just kind of being there? Well, I think people who foster kittens through shelters are aware of the importance of socializing. And I think that's the main point I want to make is the importance of socializing, whether it's gradually getting like a stray kitty used to a household or, you know, working with ferals or even, you know, fostering a litter from a feral mom, um, you have to go slow, and you have to be aware of the kitten's different personalities and get them used to human contact. The earlier, the better. And and patience. I mean, one thing that you stress a lot in the book is you give advice about the, the early time that a kitten spends with you is the yes. patience. And I think that you and I know this about adult cats. People adopt an adult cat, and they go, oh, it's crabby, or it doesn't like my other cat. I guess it's not going to work. And, oh, how long have you had it? I don't know, a day. Yeah, and exactly. real cat people say, oh, um, I'm going to give this six months. So in terms of a kitten, you take in a kitten, your friend has a litter, um, or you find a little kitten. What's your idea of how long you should really think of the the foundation of a relationship taking? As long as it takes. Every personality is different. Um, you have to understand the kitten's background. 
you have to you realize that not every cat is exposed to the vacuum cleaner. Right. Um, give them space. Give them an acknowledgement of their own personalities. Um, one thing, one contrast I think I made that was really interesting is the difference between like a shelter kitty or a stray kitty or a friend's, you know, litter between them and purebred cats. Yes. Um, which I thought was really fascinating as I was writing the book. And I contrasted my cat Molly, who passed away while I was writing the book. Oh, I'm so um, sorry. I know. I know. She had a heart attack. It was just oh my lord. To make a long story short, she was 12. She had been fine, and we. She just had a heart attack. My goodness. Um, but the difference between her, for instance, and Sophia, my Russian Blue, uh, we had Molly for 12 years. She was a shelter kitty. Um. She was a, a singleton that had been turned into the shelter at about four weeks, and we adopted her when she was I mean, probably two, two and a half, three months old. And I could tell the difference between her and Sophia, who was raised by a responsible breeder with her siblings until the age of four or five months before right. she came to us. And, you know, Molly was sweet. And she loved us dearly, and we loved her, but she had that little bit of an edge. You know, she never learned the proper kitten skills, such as, you know, when you bite your sibling, your sibling bites back, and it hurts, so you don't do it. Right. She never learned that. On the other hand, you know, Sophia has never bitten me, and I have never heard her hiss. Never heard her hiss. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Because she was raised with her mother and her litter and stayed there for the amount of time that is, by some breeders, recognized as the the right amount of time. Yeah, yeah. Nope, she never hissed. And I've learned, too, um, that shelters, the shelter that I dealt with on a regular basis, uh, Braveford Compassion Club, they are to the point where they are keeping kittens longer. In, in an effort to get them better socialized. Which and I guess is, sure. is good for the long run. I mean, it's a burden on them to keep the mom with yeah. all those kittens, and, and they'd like to free up the space for another cat. But I guess in the long run, they figure if these kittens start life correctly from a, from a feline point of view, they're going to be a better companion for humans and not be Absolutely. brought back to the shelter later. Absolutely. And they are, I'm not sure if other shelters are are realizing that or what, but I thought that was a, a really interesting insight into, you know, my local shelter and the effort to keep kittens, you know, keep cats in their homes permanently. Um, Do we have and, any and idea what I, percentage of people buy purebred cats? We know that in shelters, as much of a third of them can be purebred cats that have been discarded or turned in for usually behavior type reasons because the people didn't really know how to live with them properly. I don't know to tell the truth. Um, I mean, you've got your backyard breeders and you have your responsible breeders and um, as much as, you know, we'd love a purebred cat, you've really got to be careful. You've got to get to know the breeder, um, watch how they raise their cats. Um, I'm, I did mention Facebook. Um, there's a huge cat community on Facebook, and I've had Russian Blues for 30, 35 years, so I gravitated toward that group, and I've met a lot of really wonderful people, and the breeders truly care on how they raise their cats. 
um, as opposed to going into, you know, a, a pet store where they sell kittens or cats or just, you know, Googling, you know, Siamese breeders or Russian blue breeders. So if are you, there irresponsible mass production cat breeders the way there are dog yes. breeders? Because I had yes, sort of yes. hoped that wasn't the case, that there was less demand yeah, are, and therefore less supply. Yeah, um, there are cracks there, yeah. So you know, I don't know personally a lot of them, but um, the flags go up periodically, you know, within my Russian blue groups. And, you know, this person has copied my photographs and is pretending to sell my cats and, wow. and stuff like that. Yeah, that so happens I guess so often. Where there's people and there's money involved, you're always going to see bad actors. I mean, it's just the you nature of humans, <laughs> unfortunately. To go back to the book, The Art of Raising a Kitten, I think that the way that you talk about the supplies that are needed, environmental enrichment, uh, you have a big section on feeding, which you know is a passion of mine. But (laughs) I think that choosing a new kitten is, is an interesting one. When you talk about adopting from a shelter, it's really hard because any cat in a shelter is in a state of high stress. It's such an unnatural, unhealthy environment, no matter how nice the shelter. So what is that recommendation that you would have for people in choosing a kitten from a shelter? Well, if you can sit quietly in a kitten room and watch the cats, you have an idea of what they're like. Um, I was at Brantford Compassion Club a couple of weeks ago, and I was struck by the fact that they would just look at you with these huge eyes. There was this tabby with these big green eyes just looking at me and you know you've got to be quiet around them you have to wait for them to come to you it's it's a process it really you know you just can't run to a shelter snatch up a kitten and take it home and i do Um, don't you think that there is this belief a a misperception that a kitten's a kitten they're all good they're all going to be a good cat if you get them young no problem and you know like one kitten it just go on looks that they're, they're all interchangeable with mm-hmm. each other. And I, I think that's a problem in not recognizing the individuality of a kitten because people have begun to understand that cats have very different personalities and quirks and strengths and weaknesses. But I think people still think of kittens as a blank slate. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. That's why you have to take some time. And um, I know my, my local shelter does workups on cats and they get to know each cat is named um the the people who volunteers who work there you know know the cats and know their personalities and you know for instance a cat will be you know walking around and they'll say watch out he can be a little bitey so you know how to approach that cat and you just don't go to a random cat and scoop it up right you know, you've got to respect their distance and respect the fact that they're in a high-stress environment, as you said, and take it take it slowly. Maybe you want to come back two or three times and visit rather than just... Right, you know, impulse. Your, impulse may not be the random, way to go. At random. Exactly. So what do, um, what do we say about people who get given or find a stray kitten? And we were pretty sure that that kitten is, let's say less than three or four months old, meaning it it's missed a very important part of its socialization. Do you think it's something that can be made up for just by the human I awareness? Think, I think so with patience, with patience. Um, you know, interactive play is really, really important. If the cat is, is if the kitten is hissy, 
um, play with it with like a um, a toy to you know rev up its energy and to build trust. Um, you don't grab it again at random. You give it space. You give it a comfy environment. Um, and you work with it gradually. It may be as simple as sitting in the room reading out loud to the cat. Oh, that's so a good one. Yes, you mentioned that. It's a wonderful yeah. idea. If you just have a book or even a magazine or newspaper, the news, yeah. just reading it because it relaxes the human at the same time, doesn't it? Exactly. It, exactly. And just give it time. Give, give the cat time and realize that every cat has a different personality. And that starts from kittenhood. I mean, that's yes, that's the, exactly. the uh, fascinating thing about your book is that, and we now do understand more about the genetics and the nature nurture of any animal, that they mm -hmm. are wired to be a certain person already. And certainly their sure. environment influences that negatively or positively. And you too can have a negative or positive influence. But first you have to suss out who is this kitten. Who are they mm -hmm. really in their own skin, if you will? How do they feel about the world? Other cats, people, strange situations, strange noises. And then you have to accommodate that to help them become their best possible cat, don't you? Absolutely. And even within litters, there are different personalities that emerge early on. You know, there's a dominant kitten. There's a shy kitten. Um, as I said in the book, you know, Sophia was originally, you know, a shyer kitten. That's right. Um and, you know, she just blossomed. I mean, she's, she's, she's just the most mellow, sweet, one of the most mellow, sweet cats I've ever had. And I've had a lot of cats. <laughs> Real, really nice. Just in one last, one last question. Do you recommend against bringing a kitten into a household where you have a senior cat? In that case, you might be better off with a pair of kittens. Right. Because they can play with each other, they have yep. each other to burn off the energy rather than bugging the senior cat. Perfect. That's the, that's and, the answer I was looking for because you also in the book talk <laughs> about um, the shelters often hoping that people will adopt two siblings or a bonded you know, I pair. I heard something recently about that where, you know, pairs of cats who seem to be bonded in the shelter may be less so once you get them home. Oops. Yeah, um, mainly because, you know, the shelter brings them together and they're like partners in fear or whatever. Yes. But that's something to keep in mind, too. If you do adopt a, a, a bonded, what seems to be a bonded pair, and they're not also bonded once you get home. Um, that's something I sort of realized more recently. That's funny. So I guess you'd have to allow that, you know, to give them space. And, and see if and, they really did like each other and, or they were just cellmates. Uh, desperately <laughs> yeah. trying to survive being in prison until somebody gave them a wonderful home. Well, Sally, we've <laughs> exactly. run out of time. Sally Bonner, okay. The Art of Raising a Kitten. It's a wonderful book and really valuable tool for anybody taking a cat into their house who's less than a year old, and that's a lot of people. Thank you so much, Sally, for doing this on behalf of Kittens Everywhere. You're welcome, Tracy. Nice talk. Nice chatting. Thanks for listening. There are a few more very special companies that make this show possible, and I hope you will support their support of my mission to entertain and educate. Merrick Pet Care, which began as a family-run company in Texas 30 years ago, is still making natural pet food I feed my own dogs. They also provide nutrition to pet shelters in Chicago and Texas and free food for the service dogs for veterans from Canines for Warriors. Cradle which makes CBD calming products to reduce stress for dogs using broad-spectrum CBD from U.S.-grown hemp, 
formulated with a proprietary blend of nutraceutical ingredients. My Wanda Weimaraner couldn't get through thunderstorms without their cradle melts. Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creates holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition and makes innovative foods like the hybrid dog food Wisdom, which sometimes is all that Maisie Hotchner will eat. Evermore Pet Food, which is privately owned by two extraordinary women who cook dog food from the most pristine human edible ingredients and ship it to your door in frozen pouches. It's higher quality and more ethically sourced than my own food. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this shorter version of Dog Talk and Kitties 2, and we'll listen to other episodes sometime soon.